Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Morgan's Mentors, Morgan Neesmith will be talking with industry representatives about career challenges, mentor and mentee advice. In this episode, Vanessa Bateman shares what young engineers can expect when working with a state or federal agency. Okay, welcome to DFI's podcast channel, Broadcasting Common Ground. I am Morgan Neesmith. And if by now you still don't know what time it is, it is time to move the needle with our podcast on mentorship and careers in the geotechnical world. So in this series, we've been exploring a range of engineering roles in the construction industry. And today we want to keep that going by looking into the public and civil works agencies. And our guest is a multi-award winning engineer, the Vanessa Bateman. Ms. Bateman has over 25 years of service with the Tennessee Department of Transportation and most recently with the Army Corps of Engineers. Vanessa, thanks very much for taking the time to join us. Great to be here. So I am very familiar with uh, a lot of your work and contributions to the industry. Your name was one of the first that came up when we were talking about the range of people that we really wanted to interview for this. But for those who might not be as familiar, could you start off by telling us a little bit about your background, where you're from, your academic background, and sort of what led you into joining a state and now a federal agency? Sure, sure. I'm actually, I'm from Tennessee, and uh, my first degree is in geology from Middle Tennessee State University. It's a a regional uh, university. And uh, one of the things I discovered while I was in school the first time is I absolutely loved working outside. And so one of the first things I told one of my professors is, I want a job where I'm working outside. And he said, well, good thing you're a geologist. Um, But it, you, there, there may be some other things that you need to, to get to as well. So uh, we had some talk about, you know, where where you might work and, and, and what kind of area you might work in. And I actually got my first job uh, working for law engineering as a construction materials testing technician. Um, it, it wasn't very um, glamorous. It was certainly quite muddy and, and uh, busy all the time. You were out in the outside. I got my wish. I was outside working and I loved every minute of it. Um, even it was when it was 103 degrees, even when it was in the middle of winter, it, it didn't matter. I loved everything there was to do about it. And I, and I discovered that I just really liked working in design and construction. And so um, one of the things that I, I wanted to make sure to do was to, to be able to kind of stay working in that kind of an environment. So even at that point, I had gotten my first degree, you know, I'm still really looking for my first professional job. I started thinking, you know, I, I might, I might want to get another degree here, right? I may need to go back to school at least part time while I'm working, and 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 try to keep going. And um, I was, I was very lucky. I got an uh, interview with the Tennessee Department of Transportation, and at the time, I, I didn't even know that TDOT hired geologists. It was, so it's a little embarrassing to admit these days. Uh, but at the time, it just wasn't, it wasn't something that in school that I realized was a, was really a career path. I got started with it, and and again, like the experience being a, a just a, the construction materials testing tech, I absolutely loved it. And it turns out that the, the year I spent doing that kind of construction testing has served me well, honestly, for the for the remainder of my career because you really get to learn how things work or don't work uh, in the middle of a QA or QC uh, role on a construction project. So. I got started at TDOT. I um, worked there for a, a number of years. I uh, started running behind a rig 
uh, in West Tennessee doing, <laughs> doing bridge foundation investigations. And then they just kept handing me, you know, more and more complex projects over the years. And while I was doing that a, a few years in, I actually did go uh, back to school and, uh, and then got my, uh, got a bachelor's and a master's in, uh, in geological engineering, actually. So that was really helpful for me because while I was learning the theory, I was actually out there doing the work. And it's a little bit backwards, it seems like, but in some ways it was a great way to, to really get into this business because all of those lectures were real to me at the time. They were tangible. I could see why you needed to worry about this particular formula. I could you know, understand why, uh, what the execution of a flow net was in person on a project in a way that may not have been obvious to me had I gone through a slightly more traditional, um, go all the way through school, then get the job. Uh, so I, I really ended up enjoying that just really quite thoroughly. I got a chance to work on a lot of really interesting projects. Um, so one of the fun things about working with, uh, and I'll get back to this in a minute, but one of the fun things about working for a government agency sometimes is that you really get a chance somewhat early on in your career to take on some things that you might not otherwise be able to do, um, either because you've got an interest in it and you've got a little bit more background than some of the folks you're working with, or because there's there's not necessarily somebody else there, or just because the projects themselves are so unique. Um, and and I really got a chance to work on things that you know as as a senior <laughs> as a senior engineer these days I almost it almost makes me sweat a couple of the things that they let me work on um at that at that age but i mean it, it all worked out well so that that's great i spent about 15 years uh at the department of transportation i started out as i said as a geologist one um i left uh tdot as the civil engineering manager of the of the nashville office to go over to the corps of engineers and um you know at the time it was a really interesting time to kind of make a switch at you know 15 years in people don't always expect you to to make that big a move um but in some ways it was really, it was, it was great. It was, it was really great. I, I loved all the people I worked with at TDOT. I loved the projects. Um, but I got an opportunity to work on um, some really fantastic uh, projects when I made the switch over the core. So the, the projects were bigger. Um, the cost of the projects were bigger. Uh, the consequences of the project were bigger. And, and I got a chance to work on things that, that a transportation agency doesn't necessarily work on. So I, here I've been working on rockfall issues and, you know, retaining walls and slope stability and bridges and all of the things you would normally do as a geotech and someone within geotechnics at a, at a transportation agency. And then get that kind of rekeyed a little bit and come over here um, to a federal agency and, and, and working on, on dams and levees and lock construction. Um, so it was a really exciting time uh, to make that switch. I, uh, I came from TDOT over into the core as we were working on both the uh, major rehab for Wolf Creek Dam and for Center Hill Dam. And it was a, it was a great time um, to get into, involved in these projects, to, to learn some new things, um, to bring a, a pretty varied geotechnics background to the core that I think was a benefit, um, and also a chance for me to learn and grow in my career and really kind of keep moving on. Um, I love infrastructure. I really do. Um, it, I, I've, even now, I'll, I'll go on a road trip somewhere and my family laughs at me because we'll drive past some building. I inspected the foundation on 
you know, forever ago. It feels like it's back in the dark ages now. Or some bridge I, I worked on or a retaining wall project or a major uh, revamp of an interchange or, a, you know, a, a dam project or a, a lock somewhere. And it's, you know, they're, they're used to me going, oh, hey, I worked on that. And here's, you know, what was happening at the time. Um, they laugh, but at least they still listen to me on it. Uh, so I, I just find that these kinds of projects are really fascinating. And, and the other thing, you know, being from Tennessee, um, you can really see the impact of infrastructure in the Tennessee Valley. Um, so if you're aware of the, of the, the Tennessee Valley Authority, uh, the, the whole rural electrification that was kind of going on in our country um, and the interstate system all of which had an enormous impact on, on the, the, where people live in Tennessee, where they, where they drive, where they commute from, um, the economic development. Uh, it's, just, it's just radically different uh, than it would have been before all of these things happened. And so it's very tangible to me because I can see the benefits that this infrastructure has brought um, to, to the community that I grew up in. That's awesome. I actually did not know that uh, you had worked at law engineering very early on in your career. And I think maybe a lot of our younger audience might not realize that there was a time when that was probably considered, at least in the Southeast and probably nationwide, the pinnacle of geotechnics in the US at, at, at the time. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, and having grown up in North Georgia and North Alabama, I'm very familiar with a lot of what you talked about with the TVA, so I'm glad you mentioned that. It is really interesting that a lot of the public works um, that the TVA has been involved in, and you really can see the results of that. Um, so one of the things that we like to talk about on these uh, episodes is mentorship. And so looking back at your career that you just talked about, um, could you talk a little bit about some of the mentors or how many mentors you had and how did those relationships start, particularly if they were more uh, informal rather than formal, um, how did that grow uh, sort of naturally from there? Yeah, and I would say I've had more informal mentors than formal um, over the years. I, I participated in a, a pretty an extensive leadership development class when I was uh, at TDOT, it was about a year long thing. We had a formal mentoring program that was part of it and it was valuable. Um, I loved it and it was a great, uh, it was a great experience. But the, the mentors that have been in my life over the years in my professional life that kind of stuck with me are those really that I have run into in my profession. Um, and so one of the things, you know, when I was very, when I was a very young professional, uh, they, people were starting to talk about this thing with mentors and particularly you hear it as, 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 a, as, as a woman because they're like, oh, well, you need, you need a mentor. You know, later, of course, they start talking about you need a sponsor within an organization because it helps your career development. But where I found some of the most valuable mentors of my career were actually um, within professional societies, not necessarily in my office. And at one point, I, I probably would have told you, I don't know that I have a mentor because we have this very, um, this very formal way of looking at it. You know, people seem, you know, tend to think it's like, okay, there's this, so there's this random guy in a suit somewhere in a really fancy office and you get invited to the fancy office and you sit down with random guy with a suit and he tells you all the things you need to know about your career. Well, it, it, it doesn't actually work like that. <laughs> but for some reason, a lot of us kind of have that sort of mental 
idea that that's where it came from. Um, I started going to local professional societies pretty, pretty early. Um, I was absolutely terrified in some ways. I mean, here I am, this little pipsqueak of a, uh, a kid with a, a, a degree that didn't even have the ink dry on it. Here I'm showing up at these, these meetings and, and uh, there's 20 years between me and the next person. And I'm like, man, did I walk in the wrong room? Like, um, you know, and it wasn't unusual for me at the beginning of my career to not only be the only, you know, at work or in a, in a professional society and many, many times to be the only person uh, who was female, but also be the only person under the age of 40. Uh, <laughs> and so, and that, that feels strange. Um, but I, you know, I, I had this idea that I needed to be involved in my profession. It was something that my professors were very, very clear about. Um, and it was really great advice because I probably have learned and, and been inspired more in this arena, more within the professional societies. Um, because I, you know, some of it, I got a, I got a really great break early on um, when I first joined TDOT. They, uh, the, so I hadn't even been there 12 months. And they sponsored the Highway Geology Symposium. I, I still go <laughs> to that conference, although these many years later. Um, and I was, I only really got to go because they needed gophers, right? I was the person in the background that was like carrying stuff from here to there and, and making sure the hotel put things out at the right time and running errands and helping check people in at the very beginning. Um, but I got to sit in the room uh, when somebody didn't have something else for me to go do. And I got to listen to the presentations. And one of the first things that, that, that just struck me was not only was I in the right room, these people were cool. And I wanted to do that. Um, and so I, and, and going to some of these things over the years, I've really had a chance to be able to, to, to look at what's the, what the world of the possible was. You know, not just defined by whatever my employer was at the time, but talking with people within my profession about all of the cool things that they were doing. And, and quite frankly, there was a lot of things they were doing I had no clue about um, until I was sitting in there watching that and thinking, man, I wanna be, I wanna be like this person. Um, I wanna do that kind of work. And um, you know, knowing what's possible really is kind of that, that starter. So you know, it'd be hard to put a number on it, um, but I would say that most of the, you know, it was, it was pretty welcoming. I mean, despite the fact that, you know, sometimes again, I kind of felt like I was a little out of place. Um, uh, people were welcoming and, and were happy to see me. Uh, they gave me opportunities to, to learn how to speak. Uh, when I gave my first professional presentation at a local conference, I mean, it was terrible. I was so nervous. I thought I was going to throw up. Um, it was absolutely terrible and um was every other word and I just barely managed to get it all out and, and probably my slides were probably the worst one thing I ever did in my career, but it doesn't matter because that's how you learn and that's how you get better. You know, if the first time you're going to stand up in front of people and give a talk and there's 100 people in the room, I mean, okay, don't do it that way. Go to your local monthly meeting of the ASCE the AIPG, the local, uh, uh, you know, geology group of whatever it is, the, uh, you know, the uh, NSPS, if you're a surveyor, you know, um, Society of Professional Engineers, if you're an engineer, 
And though you will find some, some mentoring relationships that you may not call mentoring, but it is, um, from how to conduct yourself professionally to what's possible to do, what, what possible career paths there are, and they're going to be laid out in front of you um, without necessarily even, even you first even asking the question. Um, to, to how to, to really work with people in a leadership role, um, maybe before you're even able to do that with your employer, right? Uh, because you've got an opportunity to volunteer. And, you know, the first year, maybe nobody's going to put you on the big committee or, or whatever. But if you say, hey, I'll show up and do something, you'll be surprised how fast you can get incorporated into a, into a professional society. So that, that was one of the biggest things that I, that I, I, I think is that most of the, the mentors that I have kept over the long many years have been through professional societies. Um, certainly some I've developed, you know, through, through, through my employer. Um, you know, we typically don't call your boss your mentor, uh, but I, I think sometimes that's a mistake because certainly in this profession, um, that senior person kind of making sure that you know what you're doing, that's a mentoring relationship. It's just not what the business press usually needs. Yeah, and uh, speaking as a former committee chair, I can assure you that any uh, person volunteering to help out with the committee will be very welcome. So I, you touched on some really interesting points there that have kind of uh, crystallized as we've done more and more of these interviews, and that's uh, it seems to be that the people's uh, most meaningful relationships, mentorships have been informal, naturally developing much more so than any sort of formal rigid structure. And I'm really glad you touched on the uh, professional uh, industry organizations. We've just talked to, to Helen Robinson. That episode has actually just come out about the benefits. And this is an excellent benefit. I think I thought you uh, said that very well about you, you just really uh, expand the number of people that you meet and give yourself an opportunity to meet more people who could be potentially uh, helpful for you. Um, as you look back, sort of maybe closing the loop on talking about uh, your journey through the industry, um, looking back through that process, uh, you did touch on one uh, particularly pivotal moment, but either that moment or another, you think about in your career, that was uh, particularly altering that you, know, you really took a chance maybe and uh, that really paid uh, dividends in terms of the direction or maybe you were able to open up and branch out in your career uh, or just another significant opportunity that, that came about. Sure, I mean, you know, once I had been at TDOF for a little while, um, when they first hired me, they had hired uh, two of us at the time because uh, there was this idea that that we needed to deal with rockfall. So this is the this is the 1990s. Um, this had already yeah I know <laughs> a year or two ago. Uh, I'm with there. Um, I'm there with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was the 1990s. The uh, rockfall hazard rating system um, had come out from the state of Oregon, and so uh, the state of Tennessee said, "Hey, maybe we need to deal deal with this." Um, but like a lot of times with state agencies and federal, uh, they're often a little short-staffed. So when you get the opportunity to hire someone, the grand plans you have for how you're going to use that person don't always materialize. Sometimes it, you really just, they're kind of absorbed in, in the regular amount of work. But at the very beginning, um, it was when it hit the winter and we weren't out 
in the field as often, or there were these kind of funny little breaks. You know, I got to talking to to, to my boss and, and his his boss about why you know why they'd hired why they'd hired us with this rockfall stuff. And I said, well, you know, okay, I'm going to start reading this. So I sat down and read the the rockfall hazard manual and went through what we had done as a as an agency, which was mostly had sent out um, questionnaires to our maintenance guys. Like where, you know, where are rocks falling in the road that are a problem? <laughs> and so we had this stack of paper, right? Because of course this is the 1990s. Well, I said, well, you know, we, we should put this stuff in a database. So this doesn't sound anything like what, you know, they particularly hired me to do. I'm not an, I'm not an IT professional at this point. I'm just a geologist. I've never been an IT professional. Um, but, I, but I can be a little bit of a shade tree mechanic with some of it. And um, my boss said, well, what do you need? And I said, well, okay, I, I think I need a book and it, it's gonna cost about $30. And, and so he found the money, bought me a book uh, and I actually made my first database at TDOT was, our, was, was putting together for our, our initial rockfall inventory. And that seems like a really tiny, tiny thing. But um, that little seed sprouted uh, because what followed from that was one, you know, we or I organized into a database all the data we did have. Uh, secondly, you know, we put together the initial of how to actually do an inventory based on the based on the Oregon system, and started thinking through and planning out like, hey, if we had to do an inventory of the entire state of Tennessee, how would we do it? And I and I started thinking about that and working on that for a little while, and um, a little while later. Uh, a group of professors came and said, we have this great research project idea. Well, um, and they pitched it. And, and by, by that point, my boss would bring me to, to some things like this because I knew computers a little bit. And so sometimes I got invited into the room because I, I knew a little bit more about computers than a, a lot of people that I worked with. And so I, I got to listen to this pitch and uh, we talked about it afterwards. And what ended up happening um, and I had I'd been going to school uh, at this point as well, so I'm, I'm getting my degrees. Um, is that they put me together with these three professors for this research project, and said, "Okay, we're going to fund you for your research, but guess what? You get her too." Um, and so they're probably looking at me like, "What?" <laughs> Again, here I am, the pipsqueak in the room. Um, but it was a it was a, um, a collaboration that I think worked incredibly well. And um, we were able to develop uh, the new, a new system, the, the Tennessee Rockfall Hazard Rating System. Um, you know, we went through and actually created, got the inventory of the whole state done. Um, went through several iterations of a new kind of database. Then we used little, um, we actually used Palm Pilots at one point um, and actually designed little forms for field data gathering with a Palm Pilot, which is how I met um, some other uh, folks in my, in my career that I still talk to. And what um, with one thing and another, that it just kind of grew from there. And so I spent a lot of my career uh, while I was at TDOT and doing all of the other things that, that a geotech would do, um, thinking about Rockfall and how to fix these sites and where to find them, but also thinking about this sort of program and information management. And before I ended up leaving uh, uh, TDOT, we, had, we actually went all the way through the research program, but instead of sticking it on a shelf and saying we're done, part of what we did with the thing was we created a whole training manual 
Um, and this was a couple of the graduate students did an immensely fabulous job at just putting together hundreds upon hundreds of photographs of how rock slopes can go wrong and letting you, and it's in the training manual keeps you to, you can go to these things and you can say, okay, I've got a plane shear failure and here's, you know, 35 examples of plane shear failures on sites that you can go drive to. Um, and so I think that had an influence there long-term with that. And then working with the GIS systems and trying to figure out how to implement these things. And then we turned it into a program. So after the research was done, you know, we had these training materials still available. And then we turned it into a program. And what they did was they came back and they said, okay, well, we have, we have lots of funding pots that come from the federal government on how to fix roads. But sometimes we get these and uneconomic remnants. You get these small amounts that, that don't really work well, and because there are so many little funding codes and you can't move it from one to the other, you've got to kind of be able to figure out something else you can do in that particular code to be able to spend the money. Well, as it turns out, interstate maintenance, um, you can fix one rockfall site sometimes <laughs> with, with that amount of money. So they, they, they gathered it together and said, okay, if you can figure out and plan out intelligently how, what kind of programs should we, you know, what should we go spend our money on? Um, we'll put a certain amount every year toward this rockfall program. And, and that's what we did. And we went, we got, to, we got to fix a lot of sites. Um, I mean, you know, you're never going to fix everything. Um, but, but that program grew from nothing, from some papers stacked in um, a file drawer into a, a program that was happening year after year to, to repair these sites. And, and I, got to be, I got to go along for the ride, which was great. I think that's awesome. It's a great example of how it's not necessarily all about the engineering skills. You got to have the engineering skills, but just being open to another opportunity that you might not have thought you would be getting into just turns into this uh, great thing paying uh, dividends that you never really saw coming. Um, so now that we've talked a little bit about uh, some of your career and some of the pivotal moments, uh, now that you're in a position, uh, you, you've been an industry leader for a, a while now, if you're talking to, let's say, either students who are about to graduate or maybe a younger engineer in their first job, but they're really looking at what are the opportunities out there? If we, if we really drill down, what are you going to tell a young engineer that they're going to find rewarding for working for a state and federal agency? You know, for, for one thing, I've never been bored in my career. <laughs> There's always the next project, the next something to do. And, you know, one of the great things about working for the Corps of Engineers is that if, if you're bored in the Corps, you're not trying. There's always another project. There's always um, a, another need. Uh, there's, and sometimes it feels like there's always another mission. I mean, the first year I, I, I started with the Corps, I started in what, in what is a civil works district. So my, my title now is, is Chief of Civil Works Engineering. And um, so you, and, and when you're in a district that primarily does that kind of work, that's the view you get of the core. Um, well, then, you know, you go, the, a, a hurricane happens, a, a, a natural disaster of some kind, flooding, and, and then you learn, oh, wait a minute, we have this whole emergency response stuff uh, that we do, and we go out. And so um, the, the Blue Roof teams uh, that will go out after a hurricane and, and help people just, and it seems a little silly, right, getting a little bit of blue tarp on your, on your roof. But that can mean the difference between a small repair and, and, and a massive repair. And so that's, that's a lot for, to, for a community to be able to 
have that um, have that expertise and coming out there and doing that. Debris removal, things like that. I mean, it, there's all this stuff that happens um, on these emergency response. Uh, we, uh, we, you know, we were called to do um, ACOs, these, these alternate care uh, facilities um, here, here with COVID, right? That was, I mean, nobody saw that coming. Uh, if you had told me that uh, in, in, 19, in the 1990s, while I was first in, first in school and just starting my career, that I would be uh, involved in some of the projects that I, I was in, I, I probably would have looked at you like, wait a minute, what? Um, the, I, I got to work on, on Mosul Dam. Uh, we had a, a major grouting project um, at Mosul Dam, and in fact, uh, they just announced that uh, that particular project is actually uh, won, won an award this year. So we'll be talking about that at the uh, at the at the DFI meeting. Um, but you know, the first time I saw, I, I found myself on a helicopter in Iraq, going to a dam <laughs> to go work on on the foundation and 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 teach. Um, teach people some of the things that I knew as a professional. Um, it, it was very, it was, it's, it's very rewarding. Um, so it's highly varied. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of things different uh, to work on. Um, and you get to work on, as I said, really, really big projects. And, um, you know, mega project construction and mega projects, just these really large infrastructure projects, they're, they're not easy. Um, they're hard, and sometimes, uh, you know, the, the old jokes about sausage making, <laughs> if you love sausage, don't watch it being made, um, can, can come in, but what you find is that, you know, somebody's got to got to do these things, and, you know, the core is really good about that, that essay on, right, if, if somebody else has failed, let us try, and, and we will come in and work on projects that, that I just never even thought I would ever, ever do. And so that that's one of the one of the great things about working in a in a state or federal agency. We have mission, right? We know we know what we're there for. Um, you know, paychecks are great. I like to be paid like everybody else does, right? You need to be able to eat and support your family. Um, but we definitely have, you know, you you know you're working for your society, your um, your community, your country. And, and that, that motivates a lot of us. And I, I think you will find that, that a lot of us that have made a career within uh, government as, as engineers, and, and you know, I can speak for <laughs> engineers and geologists a little better, um, but that, that's part of what keeps us here, is, is really knowing that the work we do matters, um, that if you know, this lock along the, the Mississippi River were to close, that it would have immense effects upon the economy, that our, our, our big flood control projects, um, while you know, they can't control everything, <laughs> they really do prevent an enormous amount of damages. Um, and, and, like, and even some of the, the, some of the climate things that we're talking about now, right? You know, um, well, hydropower is, is yet another way um, to produce electricity in a number of our projects. Um, you know, produce hydropower. And so that's, that's a benefit back to the nation as well. And as we're figuring out how um, to operate our infrastructure in a more resilient way, right, um, you know, we get to be a part of that. And I think that's, um, that, that's, a, that's an immense challenge. And for me, I, I just thrive on, on the fact that they, we have that mission and we have those challenges. I think that's great. I think one of the things that you touched on that not enough people maybe understand is that the government I, I get that people have very strong feelings about elected officials, but there is an entire uh, suite of uh, industry professionals, career professionals uh, in 
these government agencies that do all of these projects that are immensely important across the country. I'm, I'm really glad that you touched on that. Um, while we're talking about talking to younger engineers, one of the things that uh, in talking to uh, some students that I, I get a little bit concerned with is it seems there's just a little bit of hesitancy sometimes and a bit of fear of making the wrong career decision or even in their career making a mistake and being perceived as someone who makes mistakes even though I try to tell them that's just that's a, that's what we all do it just happens <laughs> um, so it, um, if you could talk about you know either some point in your career or a particular project where things didn't really go as planned um, but that you know how you sort of stepped back and recovered from that and and moved forward sure and you know um failure is one of those words we, we need to not be afraid of now i mean you know one of my, my statics professor uh, gave the um we called it the you can you can kill people talk and his talk starts with um you know if you don't design the bridge correctly you can kill people um if you don't design the slope correctly you can kill people. And he's got this kind of mantra that goes, and that's, 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 it's shocking and surprising the first time you really hear it, but it's, it helps you understand that our job is the safety and welfare of the public, right? That's engineering ethics 101. Um, that's what we're there to do. So that being said, um, you know, having an appropriate appreciation for the gravity of what we're doing is, is, is really important. But this is a team sport. We don't do this stuff all alone with one little person over in a corner, writing everything down and calculating everything with a little pencil. Um, we do this with a group of people and we do review. Um, one of the very earliest uh, experiences that, that has stuck with me, and it, this one wasn't mine, but I'll get to one of my failures in a minute, um, was the, the company I worked for at the time, uh, ended up with a contract because someone had made a pretty big mistake in a lab. So they slipped a digit. They wrote a number down incorrectly and put the decimal place in the wrong spot. And then when someone ran the settlement calculations from that number, they were drastically wrong and drastically underpredicted the amount of settlement that actually happened. Project gets built, pretty large differential settlement is happening, and, and, and the company that I worked for at the time ends up with the contract. And so we had, uh, because that was how it kind of went down, we had an extremely formal way of checking absolutely everything. So I'm, I'm working in the soil lab and I'm writing things down for what the machine is doing. And then I have to go take it to my supervisor and say, here's what I saw, is that what you saw? And you know, check it off and sign it off. Um, you know, in the core we call that, uh, uh, we'll call that redlining, red check. Uh, you've got other people helping you with this. So you're, you're not out there alone. Um, but that being said, sometimes things don't go right all the time and, and they go a little bit sideways. Um, and that can happen a couple different ways. One, it's just unexpected. You couldn't have predicted that it was going to happen at the time. Um, you know, the day I, I went to the um, US 64 uh, rock slide, I mean, we had a, a rock that had come down, the larger slide had not happened yet. But you don't know when you wake up that morning <laughs> that you're going to be ending up dealing with a really large rock slide. Right. Um, and you've got to be able to, to cope and say, okay, this day didn't go the way we expected. What are we going to do now? 
what's the next step? What's the next thing you've got to do? And you've got to focus, you know, in an emergency situation on what, what's the next thing you've got to do to solve the problem. You may not be able to solve it completely the second you're standing there, but you can break the problem down. Okay, what's the next thing? Let's keep, let's get people out of the way. Okay, move everybody back. Now let's start assessing what the actual problem is and start running the numbers and start doing the calculations. Um, one project I had, uh, and it was, it was my design. Um, I really liked uh, some of the, the soil nail walls and I wanted to build something like that. And uh, we had a, it seemed like a perfect solution for what we were doing. Uh, it was just basically a shot creek cover wall on, on a rock slope that the rock would just rabble all the time. We didn't have any right away, none. And we had the interstate right there. And so we needed to have a nice cover on the thing. And so I spent a lot of time sharpening the pencil, putting that design together, writing stuff in the plans, oh, whole nine yards. And it's all reviewed, does great. We get into construction and I get a call, hey, we've got a problem. Okay. Um, so I get out there, they've built half the wall already. <laughs> they never called anyone. We didn't do a test section. Um, the, the notes that had been so carefully put in the plans had not been used appropriately. And, and actually, they had actually encased some of the drain strips, which are a critical piece of that, of how you put one of these walls together, because you have to handle the drainage, and encased them completely in shotcrete. So part of me sitting there going, I was so careful. <laughs> Doggone it. You can't mess up my stuff. Um, and, and part of me is like, okay. Now what, right? Because I'm the designer here. Um, I've got to help figure out what we're going to do now. And so at that point, you, you really have to, you have to kind of, you have to take off a little bit of um, the hat of, oh gosh, how did I get myself into this? You, you need to do that. But the time to be worrying about what we, what we call, and in, in, in you say it's what we call the AAR, is not that moment. That moment is about, how am I going to deal with the problem in front of me today? And then you have to step back after you get through all of that and say, okay, is there anything I could have done differently? Um, where, was there, you know, a pre-construction meeting we could have had? Was there some better communication that we could have figured out? Were there, you know, which, how, how could we have not had this go sideways um, and, and kind of work, work through that, and, you know, piece by piece? Um, and you're going to have, you're going to, I mean, you're going to have things that go wrong. Um, you're, sometimes your designs are not going to be implemented the way you wanted. Um, sometimes you're going to not anticipate something that's going to happen out in the field and then you have to deal with it. Um, so, you know, you, you just have to deal with what's in front of you. You have to deal with uh, things in, in, in reality. Um, spin doesn't help. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I think, Sometimes in our society, we kind of like to, oh, somebody messed up, so let's, let's let's try to spin it a little bit, right? It's not that bad. We don't have the luxury of that in this part of the profession. Um, physics happens, gravity works, and it works whether or not we want it to. <laughs> and water is going to do all kinds of things that you don't want it to do, too. And we have to deal with the reality of the situation. So, you know, some of it is just taking a breath and going, okay, what are we going to do right now? figuring that out dispassionately. And the second part is really coming back later and with a, with a pretty clear eye saying, okay, here's what I did wrong. Um, here's what 
I didn't do wrong, but if I had done these things, then it wouldn't have gone sideways. Um, and, and, and really thinking those things through. And, and I think you'll find that most people recover um, from uh, all kinds of mistakes, to be honest. Uh, but you've got to be willing to, to, to look at them clearly. And you've got to be willing to say, this is what I messed up. And now I'm going to move on from that. And I think that was great. Uh, again, you touched on it, but in, in a uh, maybe a society or whatever, where the people are uh, very quick to try to maybe be a little bit defensive, that first and foremost, there's a time to fix the problem. And then there could be time to do an autopsy and take a hard look at things. And as you pointed out, I thought that was one of the best things you said. You may not have done anything wrong, but could you do it a little bit better next time to avoid some of the, whatever it was uh, that uh, uh, that happened? So at this point, it's time for us to take a very brief break, and then we're going to be right back to finish up with Vanessa Bateman. Hello, listeners. I'm Teresa Angler, Executive Director of the Deep Foundations Institute. And wow, so many great nuggets of information in the discussion today on Morgan's Mentors. Hope you found them useful. If you're a student or young professional, I want to specifically speak to you about getting involved with DFI so you can connect and interact with these experienced professionals and learn even more from them and their colleagues. DFI provides free membership for students and that membership allows you to join one of our many technical committees, attend events at a very low fee or no fee at all, and also access valuable technical resources such as free downloadable papers and manuals, our journal and magazine at dfi.org, as well as other technical documents from the geotechnical mining and tunneling world at onemine.org. For young professionals, an individual membership is very affordable, and if your company is a corporate member of DFI, they may be able to include you under their annual dues, so ask your supervisor. Other activities you may be interested in are, are our annual paper competitions for students and young professors. These provide each winner with a $1,000 travel stipend, free registration to DFI's annual conference, two nights of lodging, a presentation spot during the conference, and the opportunity to have the paper published in the DFI Journal. We also offer scholarships and Women in Deep Foundations professional development grants through our charitable arm, the DFI Educational Trust. To date, we've provided over $1.6 million to over 450 students and professionals. Why not be one of them and apply? Information on all these programs, resources, and activities can be viewed at dfi.org. We look forward to welcoming you, and if you have any questions, shoot an email to staff at dfi.org. Now, back to Morgan and his guest mentor. Okay, well, once again, we want to thank Vanessa uh, for joining us today. And in particular, we need to note uh, that she has been very flexible with her schedule in some rescheduling. So we do really appreciate her time. Uh, but before we go, Vanessa, there is one question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast. And is that is if you could interview anyone living or not for this podcast, who would that be and why? Dr. Everett Hook. 
Um, he's still around and uh, teaching uh, from and, and still lecturing. Um, so I've, I've had a chance to listen to, to some of his lectures on, on YouTube. I certainly would uh, love to listen to some of them in person. Um, but he did a, a great amount of work uh, in the area of, of rock slope stabilization and, um, and mining. I really, I'm, I've not really worked in mining. Um, but there is, if you if you get a degree in geological engineering uh, and you don't know who he is, um, you need to rethink some some life choices. Um, he has uh, certainly been enormously influential um, on the on the profession, and I, I would I'd love to hear from him on on something like this. Well, that's awesome. Uh, once again, Vanessa, we really appreciate you taking the time, and for all of our listeners or viewers. We appreciate all of you taking the time to join us, and we look forward to you joining us again for future episodes as we talk to more of Morgan's mentors. And until then, remember that the truth will send a ripple through your body. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Proudly sponsored by Dan Brown and Associates. Thanks for your time. Keep on surviving.